you know, if I was to ask you, what is a missionary? You know, many of us have in our minds this idea of what a missionary is. A missionary would be somebody who learns a foreign language, someone who 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 decides that God is calling them to go to another country. As Ruth Ann was sharing, you know, this young person who comes in and says, I think God is calling me to do this. And, and so a missionary is somebody who's been called out of their normal life, out of their normal environment, and they're sent to another country to share the gospel, to live there. And, that, and that's what we think about. We think of someone who leaves their home country to go to a foreign land and maybe learn a foreign language and in order to share the gospel with those who have not heard of Jesus. Or as today, we might think of like Josiah Venture, an organization who kind of administrates all this, who puts together these camps where these kids can come from the Eastern Bloc and the Eastern um, um, European and the Central European nations and can come and, and students from the United States and other places come in and, and live the summer with these young people and share the gospel and share their lives with them. You know, that's a, that's a, that's a, a mission work too. And most of these countries in, in the Eastern and Central blocks, each of them, I keep thinking blocks because I'm old school, I'm thinking of the Soviet bloc nations, but Eastern and Central uh, Europe, the, the, the gospel has been vacant for so long. They've never heard of Jesus. But placed on the black bur- back burner of many people's lives, If I was to ask you what was the, who was the greatest missionary who ever lived, who would it be? Amy Carmichael? Well, I'm probably next to names that many of you may not know. Judson? Wesley? I would have to argue that the greatest missionary who ever lived was the Apostle Paul. And except for his time in the Arabian desert, when he was learning directly from Christ all he needed to know, he never left the Roman Empire. You realize that? He never stepped out of his own culture the whole his whole life. He always was within Rome. He, he didn't have to learn a foreign language. He spoke Greek. He spoke Hebrew. He knew Aramaic. He was a Jew, so he knew the Jewish language. He knew Hebrew. He was a Roman citizen. He knew Latin, even. He knew Greek. He did not need to learn a foreign language. And throughout Paul's missionary for missionary time for Christ, some say he planted upwards of 14 churches, or at least had influence on those 14 churches. And some people say there's even more that we don't even realize that he had a part of. He planted a church at Ephesus, which in turn planted many other churches. So he was a church planter who planted a church that became a church planter that planted more churches. He's also planting churches in Thyatira, Philadelphia, Smyrna, Laodicea, Pergamum, Syria, Arabia, and in Sardis, and many others. He either was directly or indirectly involved in that. Now, we can go and we can look at how it all began. That's why we're in the book of Acts. How did Paul, who, if you know anything about Paul in his life, and, and before, before this, understand that 
People will say, well, God changed Paul's name. No, Paul is Greek. Saul was his Hebrew name. His name was never changed by God. They just, he just changed it so that he could relate more with the other, other people in the other places instead of outside of Jerusalem. His name is Paul outside of Jerusalem, but the Jewish people know him as Saul. So Paul had been a persecutor of the church. Remember I said last week that the first church was Jewish and the first persecutors of the church were Jewish. Paul was a Jew. He was a Pharisee. He was in line to be the Pharisee of Pharisees. He probably would have been the high priest at one time in his life if he had stayed on that road, but he didn't. God did something different in his life on the road to Damascus. Because before this time, before he started playing churches, he was involved in a church in a place called Antioch. Antioch is in Syria now today. Antioch is a place that was, was a, a big church being, that was going very well. They, were, they had started there, and it was going, it was growing, they were doing a lot of things. And we come to that in, verse, in chapter 13 of Acts. We see Paul is there. It says, now there were in the church at Antioch prophets. And teachers, Barnabas, we know that name, Simeon, who was also called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene. I got to stop there for a second. It is believed that Lucius is the son of Simon of Cyrene. Okay, Simon of Cyrene was the one who carried Christ's cross. It is believed that Lucius was his son. Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. And Saul. There's Saul here. They're calling him Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. See, right there tells you Antioch was a sending church. Not only that, they were a praying church. And they were a fasting church. They listened to the Holy Spirit. They did what the Holy Spirit told them to do. They understood the value of churches supporting other churches and other people, whether it be with financial resources, prayer, or human resources. This is why we are involved as a church in church planting. This is the fifth Sunday, and every fifth Sunday we're going to be focusing on church planting. I may be speaking. I may bring Josh in. I may bring somebody else in on it's going to teach about church planting. Through the Wabash Valley Lead Team, which is the team that we have put together that, that does the church planting, we've been part of um, this group, and it also involves Murray Missionary Church, First Burn, West Burn, Crossroads of Decatur, Spring Hill and Burn. And along that line, what we have done now, we have planted two additional churches. We've planted three trees in Hartford City, which you know Josh. He's, he speaks for me whenever I'm out of town. And also Jeff, you know Jeff, he used to speak for me, but now he has a church on Sunday morning in Marion. It's called Imago Dei, the image of God, but it's actually called, they call it ID Church for short. And we are now in the process of planting another church in Wabash. I mean, we're the Wabash Valley lead team. I think we should have a church in Wabash if we're going to be the Wabash Valley lead team. Gathering resources, we're just waiting for a church planting. For God to reveal to us somebody who has the heart to plant a church in Wabash. Somebody who has the Holy Spirit telling them, I'm setting you apart for a church in Wabash. 
Now, while the world needs to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, just like the Roman Empire did, the United States is a very, very needy place. And you think, how is that possible? Look, there's a church on almost every corner. You know, Fort Wayne's known as the city of churches. There's churches everywhere. But I'll be honest with you. Some of them are churches by name only. It is a needy place. Darkness is deep in the United States. Did you know that there? it used to be that we were the largest sending nation? You know, there are probably more missionaries that come here now. But the other, the other nations, the other countries are sending missionaries here because we're not reaching people. Those of us in the established church need to catch a vision of the possibilities of planting churches in the communities in our own area. Because understanding God has a heart for church planting. When Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, which is an amazing statement, there's somebody like Peter who every time he opens his mouth, he puts his foot in it. He says something so profound. In fact, Jesus tells him, this didn't come from me. This came from the Father. And what Jesus says to him afterwards, he says, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This is, this is happening in northern Israel, in a, at around a place called Mount Hermon. And you know how I feel about this unseen realm and the spirit realm. Uh, Mount Hermon is a very important place. Dealing with Genesis 6, sons of God, the angels, and so forth. I can get into that. You want to know more about that? Talk to me sometime. I'll, I'll, I'll chew your ear off for hours about um, the unseen realm. But understand that there there's this grotto to the God of Pan. And Jesus says, the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. And upon the rock, the rock that he's talking about is not Peter, because Petro sounds kind of like rock in Greek. That's not what it is. The rock he's talking about is what Peter said. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. That is the rock that we can... Firmly hold on. Now understand, Jesus had not explicitly taught his disciples this idea that he was the Christ, the Son of the Living God, up to this point. It poured out of Peter's heart because of his faith in Christ. And it was this confession of faith that's the hallmark of every true Christian. If you believe with your mouth, if you believe with your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. You must believe that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. So Jesus says he's going to build his church. That's what he's going to build upon. Later, Jesus would call all of us to be missionaries to the world right before he ascended to the Father. He gave his disciples the Great Commission on the Mount of Olives in Matthew 28. 18 says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples. Or as Actually, what that means is, as you go, so as you are going, as you're living your life, as you're moving throughout your life, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. See, when we share the gospel, when we share the gospel with our neighbors, when we share the gospel with our friends, when we share the gospel with the acquaintances that we have, we are being missionaries to them. And when we plant a church, we are fulfilling the Great Commission. 
The reality is, is that we've all been called to plant churches. Now, whether that church is a church or whether that church is our neighbor, we've been told to share the gospel. We've been called to plant them. We've been called to support them in planting the gospel through the church into our communities throughout the world. Whether it be the far reaches of the world, you know, we've got we got people in Russia, we've got people in Eastern Europe, we've got people down in South America, missionaries that we support, or whether it's the community that's just 20 miles from outside of our town, whether it's our neighbor that's 20 feet off our back door. Now, I want you to understand that in doing this, we don't just haphazardly do this. We don't just when we plant a church, we don't just go and say, okay, do you want to you plant a church? Fine, let's go. We're going to drop you in the middle of the town, figure it out. We don't. The first church in Antioch did not do that. What were they doing when this happened? They were praying and they were fasting. It doesn't begin either for us by sending money to start a church. It doesn't begin by sending money to Josiah Venter. That doesn't, that's not where it starts. It starts with prayer and fasting. Look again what it says there in Acts 13. It says, while they were worshiping, so they're worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart from me Barnabas and Saul. They were worshiping the Lord and they were fasting. It's, we don't get the sense, though, think about this, in these words, we don't get the sense that they're sitting there thinking, hmm, what are we, who are we going to send? What are, what are we going to do next? It wasn't that. It was that God had already decided. God had already prepared. God had already moved. He was just telling them, okay, here's where I am. Catch up with me. I'm sending, I want you to send Paul, Saul and Barnabas, or Paul and Barnabas. The Holy Spirit moved and showed them who they were to send to start these new churches. And then the Holy Spirit did not just reveal that to them when they were going about their day. He revealed it to them while they were praying, worshiping. Fast. They didn't take up an offering to see how much money they had to send. They submitted to the Holy Spirit and allowed him to let them know what the next step was going to be. It was to send. He knows. He knows who he wants to send. He knows every single intern that Ruth Ann is going to have to deal to work with, deal with, to work with, ah, work with, to prepare for next summer's camps. He knows every young person in Eastern and Central Europe who are going to be at the camp. He knows them all. He knows what's going to happen. He knows what needs to happen. And he just wants us to come along with him as he does the work that he's going to do. We have to sometimes patiently wait for him to reveal what we are to do, who we are to send. We've been, we've been actually working on Wabash now for two years. Two and a half years. And every quarter we get together overnight. We do some training with these pastors from these different churches. And we pray. And we spend some time just praying about where we're at with Wabash. And God says, this is where I want you. But he says, we've not been told who it's going to be. When we did Hartford City, it was interesting because we, we had actually tried to find somebody. We had somebody lined up. They did all the testing. They tested fine. And then they came and said, we don't want to do it. Okay, 
well, they, they ended up not church planting. So we didn't have one for about a year. And then Doug Butler, um, who now is the, uh, does the, he's like the liaison with the region for church planting, told us about Job and Kelly. So we went down and we did a prayer walk to the city of, Park, the city of Hartford City. And that city is, is hard, a hard place to be. But Josh and Kelly were perfect. God had called them to do. All we had to do was come alongside the Holy Spirit and walk with him. And we did it, and that works. And we're waiting on that with Wabash. We need to patiently wait, prepare ourselves through prayer and fasting. And prayer and fasting doesn't end just when we, after we figured out who it is and we send them. Prayer continues on after we've sent them. Prayer is key after we've sent someone to plant a church. Many church planters and many senders of church planters underestimate the amount of spiritual warfare that's going to happen. You are now moving into enemy territory. A lot of churches don't want to talk about the spirit realm. They don't want to talk about the, the dangers out there in the spirit. Remember what Paul said in Ephesians. He says, our, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the powers of darkness in the spiritual realm, in the heavenly realm. That's what our battle is against. And when you set a church planter in a place where there's a lack of the gospel, and I'm sure when you, when you begin to camp in a foreign country, missing the gospel, bringing kids who have not heard the gospel, the enemy... His ears are perked up, perked up, and he's watching, and he's waiting for an opportunity to discourage, to lie, to manipulate. There's a lot of spiritual warfare that a new church planner is going to face. They're, they're encroaching on the enemy's territory, and he's not just going to sit back and let it happen. He is going to cause problems. And Josh could share with you, Josh Jones could share with you story upon story about things that are happening in the church. Spiritual warfare that's happened. He's, he's shared those with us a lot of times in our meetings. But he needs prayer. They need prayer after the fact. We found it, I think, today too easy just to write a check and let it go. No, we need to be praying. We need to be praying for our church plants. We need to be praying for our missionaries. We need to be praying for ourselves that we would share the gospel. Prayer must be a priority for the church planter and for the church or churches that are sending the plant. The church planter is going to need a prayer team that's going to be close and willing to consistently be praying for them in their efforts to plant the church. We see in Scripture that repeatedly, Paul would repeatedly ask for prayer. In 2 Corinthians 1.11, he says, you also must help us by prayer. You must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessings granted us through the prayers of men. I think we falter many times in prayer. I know I do. I struggle with it. I'm a pastor and I struggle with it. I have no problem praying. I have problems setting aside time. So I have to constantly schedule my prayer time. We see again in Ephesians 6, Paul tells us, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. It means asking God to take care of all those church planters, all those missionaries, all those workers of the faith. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, which I am 
an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This was a time when Paul was in prison. He was saying, oh, be praying that I would speak the gospel. No. And again, prayer is so important. He does it again in 2 Thessalonians 3. He says, finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you and that we may be delivered from the wicked and evil men for not all have faith. There's no partner more important in the process of planning the church than the prayer partner. It takes teamwork. It takes partnership. And while you know, prayer, prayer is very important, it's one of the key things. The financial support is very key. But it's important that we as an established church partner in other ways with planning churches. Apostle Paul partnered with others to further the gospel. Look what we see in Acts 16. He says, Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was Greek. His father was not a believer. What I take that to mean. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in there at those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. The churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. Paul could have done it all by himself. He could have easily done it by himself. But what does he do? He finds others to partner with him. In the first missionary journey, he took Barnabas and Mark, John Mark. He ends up splitting. He took, yeah, took Barnabas. He ends up splitting with Barnabas and takes Silas the next time. We'll get to that in a moment. Get ahead of myself. But church planting is a team effort. The Wabash Valley Lead Team, we, we, we come alongside our church planters to encourage them and help them whenever their things are needed. Our role will expand as we plant more and more churches. But as we, as a church, we have and we continue to partner with the church planters. With physical resources. There's many things that we've had. We've given three trees. I know Ed and Betty have gone down and worked at the church a little bit and helped them. We can do that. We can also send people to help start a new church, whether it be for a season or permanently. If the Holy Spirit leads you to go to a church, to a new church plant that we're planting, I'll, God's being, God bless. Don't hesitate to answer his call. But when we do this, we have to understand that there are challenges and there needs to be a perseverance. We've got to be realistic. Church planting has pitfalls that we may not realize that are going to have to be faced. The next 15 says, after, after, And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return to visit the brothers in every city. We, were pro, we proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. So Paul and Barnabas had finished the first missionary journey. During that time, John Mark had left them because he, he was homesick. He wanted to go home. Didn't make Paul very happy. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with him one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. 
Paul doesn't want to take John Mark. He's like, I don't want to take him. He failed us before. He's going to probably fail us again. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they were separated from each other. This was a big deal. Paul and Barnabas had a fight. They disagreed. I'm sure it wasn't fisting. I'm sure but there was some probably some fierce arguments going on. So what did Barnabas do? Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. See, Paul on the first journey had never expected John Mark not to fulfill his commitment. But he didn't. But in the end, John Mark's departure actually created a split between Paul and Barnabas, but also created two teams to go out to share the gospel. It seems like it was a bad situation, but God turned it for good. And later on, we know that Paul ultimately reconciles with John Mark. In Philemon, verses 22 through 24, says, At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark. And that's John Mark, who he's talking about. Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow worker. So now Mark is back with Paul working. The split between Paul and Barnabas resulted in doubling the missionary efforts of spreading the gospel. Because God can use anything to share his gospel and spread his gospel. But see, the the thing about it is, is that even in their arguments, both Paul and Barnabas depended on God. Even though they parted the ways, it was done ultimately peacefully. When it came down to it, while they differed in personal opinion, they were united in what mattered most. What mattered most was sharing the gospel with the world. That is key. It is of utmost importance. And the churches that both Paul and Barnabas planted were going to face persecution. Paul says in 2 Timothy, he writes Timothy saying, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Not may, will. Many of the early converts were Jewish. Paul would first go to the synagogues, and if he couldn't reach them, then he'd go to the Gentile places. And many times this caused persecution from the Jews. As a gathering of believers was formed made up of both Jews and Gentiles, persecution from the Jews would increase. And then some of the Roman officials would get involved and they would be persecuting. And ultimately we know that Nero extremely persecuted the Christians. But in the process of this persecution, followers of Christ were suffering financially. They could not they could not be, if they had businesses in the market, they couldn't go into the marketplace unless they bowed to Caesar first and named him, declared him God. They couldn't do it. So they would not be able to be in the markets. Not to mention that in many other places there were famines. And Paul would collect money from the other churches to help support another church. In these places where there were famines. In 2 Corinthians, we see this. He said, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that is given among the churches of Macedonia. For in severe tests of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. We have the church in Macedonia, which is up in Greece, who were poor, who were being afflicted. But what did they do? 
They gave money to Paul to give to the church in other places that were suffering. They gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. So it wasn't that they stopped giving to the church in Macedonia. They gave above and beyond what they had already been supporting the church. Sacrifice. Not every church can support itself. I said this last week, I mentioned it. Um, Three Trees will probably be a very difficult church to support itself because of the of the makeup of that church. It's a very depressed area. It's a very difficult place to do ministry. These people have never experienced God in their lives, and now they are. They, they, and he, he, Josh tries to teach them, but they're, they have very meager means, so we are probably going to have to support So. I'm suggesting that on your way out, any loose money that you leave in the offering box back there will go to Three Trees to help support that church. That church probably, if it, something doesn't break soon, if they don't get the support they need, they will probably cease to exist within six months. At least. You can't let that happen. The churches were struggling in the early church. This is where the established churches step in. And even those churches who are struggling themselves stepped in above and beyond their normal support to help supply the needs of a struggling church. We do this because planning churches is the most important thing about it. The most important thing about planning a church is reaching people. Church planning has always been and should always be about reaching people. Buildings are helpful. It helps. Finances have their part, but the most important ingredient in church planning is people. When I think of church planning, I am reminded that Jesus said to his disciples, it was in Matthew 9, he's sitting there, he's, he's looking at the people, he says, and when he, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly for the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I walked, when we were doing the prayer walks in Hartford City, I was walking and I could just feel the despair. It's like, they're sheep without a shepherd. They know Jesus. And, and it's not like they know Jesus and now their life's going to be perfect. You know, all the good things are going to happen in their life. But so they need to know Jesus because their life's going to be hard. But the next life is going to be that much better. Church planning is so important because it is within community where discipleship happens. Church planting is not about evangelism. It's about a group of believers in Jesus Christ learning and participating in the commands of Christ and multiplying their group within their community context until the return of Christ. That's what we've been commanded to do. We need to foster and support local communities where disciples can learn to be obedient to carrying the Great Commission to the world. We could start a church in Hartford City. We could start a church in Wabash. And those churches can get to the point where they're sending now people to Eastern and Central Young. Disciples make disciples that plant churches that plant churches. My prayer today is that we all understand this is such a huge need, the gospel in the communities around us. 
yes, we need to support our missions to the world. But we can't forget that the world, there's a world right next door to us. And through prayer, financial support, and actively participating in church planting, we can help fulfill the great.